You're listening to The Broken Meeple Show, a podcast that speaks passionately about board games for the benefit of those who play them. My name's Luke Hector, best known for The Broken Meeple YouTube channel, and I'm an everyday gamer just like you. And I'll be talking about reviews, top tens, and just about anything that connects me to board games. As long as I have a tea or coffee in hand, that is. So grab a cup, relax, and enjoy. And remember, it's only a game. Hi everybody, I'm Luke Hector and this is the Broken Meeple Podcast Show. Whoop, shuffle my chair there a little bit. Hopefully the audio is good, but thank you for joining me on this uh, interesting episode of the Broken Meeple Show, where I'm kind of trying to play catch up with a few things. I've just recently done a massive video where I've recorded multi-part on my camera, exhausted, tired, throat going, all that sort of stuff, to do a Bonanza review video, which is going to be multi-parted to cover a bunch of games that I've got to review that I just need to get reviewed. Now, this isn't going to include big titles, so Endless Winter, you know, Northgard and Bears and Heat and stuff like that, they're going to get their own individual videos as before, but I had a ton that we had to get done. World Splitters, World Exchangers, Scout, Vengeance, Roll and Fight, uh, Canopy, and there was a couple of others. Oh, what else was there? A couple of Fantasy Realms Deluxe, uh, Solar Sphere. There was a bunch of these small games that if I did an individual video for each, I would never get them done before Christmas. I doubt I'd get them done before February. So I just had to say, look, you know what? One big video, quick reviews, all of them, good and bad. <laughs> There's a mixture in there. And I thought we'll go with that. So look out for that when that gets finished, because it's going to have to release in multiple parts in order to make it you know, viewable for people. But of course, while that's being done, I can get on with the other big videos that I need to do, which have to take a bit more priority. But yeah, somewhat exhausting on that front. But otherwise, things are generally okay. We're getting into December now, so the temperature is more to my liking. Uh, the uh, <laughs> where There's more Christmas dues on the horizon. I'm expected to be home for a good chunk of Christmas holiday with the family as much as I would rather be sort of back here for part of it, really, because as much as I enjoy being with the family, there's only so much I can do back in Somerset where they live. Everything's shut, and I can only rinse and repeat the same daily routine of get up, chat, few games, food, the end, or something. You know, I need to get stuff done. I'm, I, I get frustrated if I feel like I'm not being productive or if I'm not doing anything that I consider to be, like, you know, self-fulfilling in a sense. You know, like, when I do the blog stuff, yes, it can be stressful and it can be a lot of work but it's good that when I've recorded a bunch of videos or edited a bunch I'm like ah good I did that you know I've produced something today and I've achieved something you know same goes for work you know work is not the most fun thing in the world but at least when you've completed a few projects at work it's like ah yeah what well, that was a good day I felt like I got stuff done but when I'm at home I don't get anything done <laughs> I'm literally just sitting there like well uh what should we do today then? It's very much Pinky in the brain. It's like, gee, brain, what are we going to do tonight? You know, same thing we do every day, Pinky. It's, it's the exact same thing when I'm at home. As much as I love my family to bits, there's only so much I can do back in Somerset. But, you know, during the Christmas holidays. Go there when it's nice and hot and everything's open and you can go for walks around the country. Then it's amazing. But, yeah. But, yeah, so there's plenty enough in December, which means that I need to get a move on just to get these other big reviews done. But at least with the compilation one, I should be able to get back on track, which is a good thing. It's just the way it is. That's why I had to move my top 100, although we'll get onto that later. But also, I brought the collaborations back. So I did a collaboration recently with All Aboard Gamer which was a very long three-hour live stream. But boy, was it fun. We did our top 10 overrated games in our humble, worthless opinions. 6,800 views so far. I know it should be higher than that if I did an individual one that only took 20 minutes. But, you know, that's just the way it is. But 188 comments and surprisingly, still over 90% likes. Normally, overrated games lists are the hardest one to get likes versus dislike ratios up. And certainly, 90 is much lower than every other video I do. But... Still, the fact that it's in the 90s is pretty impressive. So, by all means, if you can, check out that video. Listen to it in the car. Listen to it as a podcast or something. You don't have to watch it, you know, all the way through three hours or whatever. Just do it in piecemeal. That would, you know, that would make me feel happy. And certainly engage with us. We enjoyed it. We're definitely going to do more stuff together. It was great fun. 
But also, I'd like you to check out a couple of recent reviews, uh, particularly Banner Festival and Precognition. These are two games that I have talked quite highly about, and yet because they are less well-known games and not like the new hotness, then they're not going to get a lot of views. I mean, Banner Festival has been out for, what, since... It's been out for a week. It's not even hit a thousand views. And, you know, Precognition, I just did the other day, first day, it's not even anywhere near a thousand views yet. And yet these other games, which I've said, you know, these have got issues or they're not perfect and stuff like that, or even ranted about, have got way more. I mean, I've got 5,000 views for the Wingspan nesting box. Granted, I'm glad I did the video and I'm glad you love it. But 5,000 reviews for a box. And yet this quality game, Precognition and Banner Festival, which I think are good games, aren't getting anywhere near as much love. Which feels a bit of a shame. I mean, Precognition especially. I think that's a pretty solid game. And yet, no one's going to talk about it. No one's really going to see it. And it's just going to fall under the radar. And it really shouldn't. I need more views on those videos, please. Get them shared out. By all means, check out the Wingspan nesting box review. But maybe it's just because it's Wingspan. Maybe it's because people knew I was going to rant on it. Or maybe people just didn't have any other reviews for the game and wanted to actually check it out. I don't know. But... Suffice to say, I'd love to see those two videos get a little bit more love. But, as I say, not a big deal. Plenty of content has come out, and, uh, you know, there's plenty more to come. It's going to be interesting when I can finally get back to doing some individual top 10s. However, collaboration top 10s, as I said, they have started, and I have a new one next Saturday, 3 o'clock GMT, okay? That is going to be the next collaboration top 10. Chairman of the Board returns. Yes, Chairman of the Board uh, uh, teamed up with me. A while ago? How long ago was that? Was that this year or last year? I get the feeling it was the previous year. Let's have a look. Uh, One Pit Wonder was all the way back then. Ryan and Bethany. No, it must have been more recent than that, surely. Where is it? Top Worst Things in Our Favourite Games. Nope, that was Hexy Beast. Uh, that was Ninja Geek Games. That was Solo Playthroughs. When did I do Chairman with the Board? I know I did... Ah, there it is. Here we go. Top 10 games that aged well with Chairman of the Board. There he is, a local UK creator. Supports more creators. Hashtag. But uh, that was a good little list. I mean, 6,000 views. It's actually one of our more popular live stream ones, in fact. Uh, but the main thing is, is that not only was the topic interesting, but he, um, you know, we have very different... Uh, tastes in games <laughs> it's like like a lot of different tastes in games he is very much the beige euro the stefan Feld lover um you know dan sorry i'm mind blank there for a second i've had a long day but you know he's he's into those sort of euros that i don't tend to like at all so we have two very different lists and this is his idea i did suggest some that my patreons have suggested and don't worry they haven't gone forgotten they will get done patreons but he suggested the idea of top 10 games we dislike but respect hmm hmm i was very interested about that one because that sounded like a good topic and instantly i thought of four or five games that would instantly make that list and then I thought, okay, can I think of another few? And then jotted down some brainstorming ideas. I need to give it a bit more thought and go through, like, you know, my ratings on Board Game Geek and that. And it's like, okay, could be cool. Because if it's a game I think is bad or hate, I'm not going to give it respect. I'm sorry, the game just doesn't get the respect from me. But there's a bunch of games where I'm like, yeah, it's meh, or it's average, or doesn't sit well with me, but I can see why it's good. Or, like, if it was just... If it wasn't for this little bit of it, I would actually like it and really like it. So there's a few of them that would be good to talk about. So it's a good mix of negative and positive. So I thought this would be quite a good one. And obviously the two of us are going to have very, very different lists, I suspect. So look out for next, not Saturday, Sunday. Sunday, 3 p.m. GMT. Sunday the, what's it, it's Friday the 2nd. So Sunday would be, let's have a look. Sunday is the 4th of December. 4th of December, 3 p.m. GMT. Dan and I will join the forces together for another top 10 live stream. So I hope you can make that. All right, let's move on because basically the rest of this episode is going to be a game I played recently that most people have never heard of. And then we're going to go into my top 100 in more detail. So, another game I've played. I literally played this on Friday with some friends of mine. It is called DEI, Divide a Impera which I think means divide and conquer. The cover does not give me the same impression as I was getting from that title. I mean, divide a imperia sounds more like a an ancient history, like Romans versus Persians or whatever, you know, some kind of 
ancient history dudes on the map game. Well, there's only his dudes on the map, but then you get this cover which is a post-apocalyptic winter that looks a bit like Frostpunk mixed with Scythe. Because you've got this mech thing in the background, guys trying to like salvage stuff and climb up wolves and things, a frozen dude here with a mech. And it's like, wow, this kind of gives me a bit of a Scythe feel, just with a winter feel. Okay, cool. But, alright, you know, my mate wanted to play this. He just got on Kickstarter, lots of boxes, <laughs> a few too many boxes, I think, but, uh, you know, did his very best and taught us the game, and we played a four-player game of this. So, essentially, it is a dudes-on-the-map tile game. You are buying cards which allow you to do these actions of collect or move or fight, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, or fight? No, collect, move, recruit, that kind of thing. And basically, you have this massive board, and I mean massive. I mean, these photos will not do it justice because there's this map can be like four by four with these giant tiles, and they're multi-level in some in some respects because they represent like the different buildings and such. I wonder if I can get a picture that's a full-blown. Yeah, here we go. That's a that's a full-blown setup of the game. It's a table hog to say the least, but. Essentially, you put your dudes on the map and you go around, collect the various uh, two types of resources and you use these in order to buy the cards that improve your deck. So it's semi-deck building, but you don't add cards, you replace starter cards. So you always have the same number of cards. And even then, it's not really a deck, it's more your hand. You have access to these cards all the time, it's just they're in your hand. You play the cards in three separate stages per round. You play two at a time, and then you resolve the actions, and you might put one face down to say, right, I'm going to buy a card for this action. So you're giving up an action to buy a card, but at least it will be a really good card. And you just go around. You occasionally you know, use these drones, which are communal, the communal drones. So if you've got the card, you play it, you pilot it, and it does some cool thing like gather more stuff, teleport your unit, shoot down other people's, that kind of thing. It's... Pretty mean. I mean, you're vying for area control over these green, red, and blue outposts and grabbing stuff. And there's a majority rule, which means that if you don't have more units than someone else does, you can't even physically move into the area. You can get blocked off pretty well. It's kind of mean and vicious at times. And that is a little negative for mine. I, you know, I'm not a massive fan of these mean and vicious ones, but I knew it going in, so it's not like it was a big surprise. But I thought this was, you know, pretty well produced. I mean, he's got the full-on deluxe version, so not only has he got these, you know, pretty cool miniatures, but he's got, you know, the drone minis. He's got these really cool sort of uh, plastic pieces for the resources. The artwork's pretty good. I mean, it's got a kind of uh, almost like a propaganda mixed with Fallout type uh, look to it. And it was an interesting game. I enjoyed it overall. But we played the basic version. Basic version only has... You know, four very, very similar factions. Uh, nothing much that interesting drone-wise. I mean, the drones are cool, but, like, they're on their basic abilities. And we didn't draft the, the feats. You can get, like, these uh, special abilities that you can unlock during a game. We didn't draft those. We randomized them. And, yeah, that really needed to be drafted, I think, <laughs> in order to get some synergies. But the game overall was decent. You know, the scores were even quite fairly tight at the end between me and, uh, you know, our mate who wins every game we ever play with him. But <laughs> it's getting to that point. But, yeah, it was an interesting game. I need to play it with the extra stuff in, though, because there's, like, another five factions you mentioned with much more interesting-sounding, asymmetrical styles of play. It's just we played the basic ones. So I don't think I ever want to play the basic ones again. I want to play these new ones, like, you know, a guy who has dogs and a bear and, you know, these psionic faction and another faction who, uh, you know, is irradiated. So their guys keep dying every round, but they keep, like, killing off everybody else. It's like, I want to try these factions. These sound amazing. And these other drones that you can have, which are a bit more interesting than some of these starter ones. It's, it's like, oh, I want to try them. But the feats as well, you know, as much as I would like to draft the feats so that you get a bit more synergy, this... This kind of leads into a flaw of the game. This is a Ludus Magnus studio or whatever. I think they're Italian. It's a relatively small publisher, I think. I don't think they've done a lot. And this game does have the hallmarks of a typical big multi-box Kickstarter. It's, uh, I mean, it's got Pegasus Spiel here, but I think it was an indie publisher that did it originally. Um, whoever this weird, <laughs> whoever this weird lollipop thing is, I forget. But I found that... It does have some flaws. 
the feats are not balanced. Some of those feats are just downright more powerful than others. Some of them are just outright useless. And so I wasn't a fan of that. Uh, it's definitely got too many variants in the book. I mean, the book has a variant for every variant. It's ridiculous. It gives you so many different ways that you can play the game. And as soon as a game has a ton of variants, you know it's because the designers did not could not be bothered to fully play test their game and tell you how to play it. I hate games when they do that because it's always a hallmark of bad game design. And certainly this game really needed to pick a route and stick with it. Because there are certain variants which are like, okay, cool, I would use those and some that I would not go near. But again, tell me how to play your game. Don't let me have a smorgasbord of choice. That's not how to design your game. Ah, take a bit of coffee. Right, so... You know, the card system is cool. There's not a huge amount of variety in the abilities, but there's four different piles to pick from, and, you know, you've got to control outposts in order to buy them. I love these drones. I think these drones are a cool thing where you get to control them among all the players. I went very drone-heavy, so I was controlling them a lot, but at the expense of other things. The choice of which card to get rid of in order to get a better card is a very tense and horrible choice to make, but it's good. And mainly, I just find it... A little bit vicious, maybe a little bit too vicious at times, but then some area control games are like that. And I didn't like having a basic randomized setup for these feats, which, you know, are clearly not balanced. And, you know, the, having the basic factions. But I want to play this again. You know, I don't think it's amazing. I'd give it a 7. I'd give it a 7. I'd say it was good. Good, not great. But I was playing a basic version. It's quite a long game. You know, it certainly did take us a while to finish it. And it's got a lot of rules overhead you know, and too many boxes, but I want to try this with some expansions, I want to try some of these other characters, these, these other factions sound really, really cool, and I want to try them, but I want to draft my own feats, so I want to get a better synergy with that, I want to try some of these other drones out, basically throw in the additional content to make this just a little bit more varied, and maybe just that little bit more, um, like, interesting, but I thought... It was actually better than I expected it to be. I thought this was going to kind of fall flat on its face and it actually kept me entertained. You know, I, I kind of could call the... It, it's got that little bit of a runaway leader problem that if somebody's rich, they're going to get richer and other players need to reel them in and that wasn't happening a lot in our game. So that person just runs away with it. But it also got to a point where I'm like, yeah, I'm never going to catch him up points-wise and I could pretty much call the victor at that stage. That's always a bit of a problem, but let's say the game was good generally. I'd like to try it with some more bits thrown in and maybe with those asymmetric factions, it, you know, making, because I didn't feel very different from other players. I mean, we had a leader ability each and I, I mean, what, I collect an extra thing with my guy with a spade in his location. There's better stuff to do than that, frankly. I mean, I was controlling the spider bot for ages, this thing on the cover here, and just harvesting resources so why did i need my leader ability so they were a bit of a letdown i want to try the cool leaders the the really funky factions and see what it's like but yeah divide and then divide and conquer or divide a imperial or whatever you want to call it or dei i mean it's a bit of a nightmare to search for on board game geek ranked in the four thousands better than i expected it to be and obviously pegasus spiel has had a look at it but it's clearly had more of a European distribution than a UK one. I'm not aware that this has got any UK retail release at all, other than Kickstarter backers, but I'm not saying it was better than I thought. So, I don't know. And a ready, steady play. I know Mike Dennis has uh, done a setup and rules uh, video on this, so it might be worth checking that out if you want to learn the game. But be curious to know what his thoughts are on the game in general, really. I haven't heard him speak of it, but yeah, it was a nice little surprise and something different it meant that i didn't have to teach a game for once which <laughs> is a nice relief sometimes on a friday all right i'll take a swig of my drink because my throat is definitely drying up but let's get on to the focus of this episode and hopefully i won't spend 40 minutes on this but we'll see so i did my top 100 back in september october it took a while <laughs> it took a bit of a while but I love doing them. They are good fun. They're just a lot of work. Hence, I'm moving them to January now so that I can do them in you know January, February time when I can do them in the quiet space of the year. So that will help me next time. And by the time 14 months have passed, you're going to see some good fluctuations on that list, I think. Because, I mean, two Essens would have passed by then. There's going to be some interesting uh, movements on there. Not to mention a lot of the games that I've got will have had another 14 months to sit on my shelf and go... Are they still as fun as I remember them? Who knows? But yeah, it'll be pretty cool. 
But I said I was going to do a live stream where I was going to analyze the top 100 in more detail, talk about games that fell off and such, but I just didn't have the time. Too much Essence stuff, hence the compilation video. And I'm like, come on, Luke, you got to get on with it. Get it done. But I couldn't squeeze in another live session. So I figured, why not just borrow a podcast episode? You know, got other topics I'd like to talk about, and Patreons obviously suggest their own ones, but what I'm probably going to do, most of them have suggested questions rather than uh, topics, so I'll probably do a live Q&A at some point to go through those. But yeah, I figured this is to hijack a podcast episode and do this. So I'm basically going to talk a little bit more about the stats for my top 100. Now, not the stats for the current top 100 in terms of the games, I'm more interested in the designers, more interested in the publishers, and what games fell off the list. So I'm going to go into detail in those. So let's bring up my Google Drive here. So Google Drive, this is the spreadsheet that I get. And like I say, if you're listening to this on uh, audio, don't worry, I'm going to talk about these things. But for those of you on video, this is the Google Drive spreadsheet I have for my top 100. And you can see, if you can see the tabs, it goes back quite a few years. This is where I export, you know, this is where I put in all the stuff that comes out of the, uh, what they call it, the, not the tabletop together tool, it's the, ah, me, what's the, I mean, I've forgotten what the, the tool is that I use for it, uh, i got to look this up now, I have to look this up, uh, right, uh, top 10, uh, top 10 generator board games, I forget what it's called, ah, oh, this is so bad. So bad, so bad. Pub Meeple. The Pub Meeple Generator. There it is. Yes, the Pub Meeple Generator. So I put stuff into that and I do all the comparisons. It spits out about 150, 200 games for me and I then plug the top 100 into this spreadsheet. So this spreadsheet shows me the top 100 for the current year. I've already copied and pasted the top 100 for the previous year alongside it. And then the designer and publisher is usually uh, done through a, oh, what do you call it, pivot table. But then the last year position is obviously linked to that one. And then, uh, you know, the movement is linked to the ranks between the two. And it basically tells me how many places it's gone up, what last year position was, whether it's gone up or down. And I can clearly see the movement. If it's not applicable and new, I have to manually enter that in to reflect that it's a new game. But then I also highlight the new ones in blue on the left so that I can easily see which ones are new to the list. On the right, though, you may have noticed that some of them are highlighted in yellow. That's the ones that fell off the list from last year. But then as we get to the bottom, I then have a table down here that goes through the entire selection of the current year and counts games by publisher and designer now this is not a fully 100% accurate way of doing this because multiple publishers have done games so I try my best to find the original publisher and designers usually have more than one designer on a game so I have to pick a designer I can't have all of them so I tried to pick the lead designer where possible and yep that can throw the numbers off a little bit but sometimes it balances but like I say it's not an exact science I don't have the time to go through in meticulous detail it's more just a passing fancy this but let's first talk about my favorite publishers apparently according to my list so I've already noticed that there's Red Raven games and Red Raven is duplicated so that should be two so they should be higher, in fact. Like I say, these mistakes happen. In fact, why don't I correct that now? Where does it say Red Raven? Red Raven. Red Raven. Come on. Come on. Actually, no, I'm not going to correct it. That's not fun for the people on audio. So <laughs> we'll just accept that they've got two, not one. But as you can see, there's a lot of individual publishers. Artipier, one. Blacklist, one. Delicious Games, one. Foxtrot, one. iGames, one. Colossal Games, one. Cosmos, one. You know... A lot of these publishers feature only once on my top 100. That's not to say I don't like these publishers. It's just there's only so many games and they're the ones that feature on there. But then we get twos, threes, and and then four, and then 11. So yeah, 11, four, and then multiple at three is my top publisher list. So you can see I like a wide variety of publishers except for one. Now granted, this publisher has a bit of an advantage because let's, you know, the third favorite is... Well, let's go into the top favorite and go down. So FFG is my number one publisher on my list. 11 games. But then they've had a lot of years to produce a lot of games. And to be fair, they have a lot of IPs I enjoy and they make a lot of games I enjoy. But I mean, Fantasy Flight. So, you know, going down 
my list here. So what have we got here? We have got Mansions of Madness. We have got... Let's see, Mansions of Madness. And to be fair, not a lot of them are in my top 10 or even 20, in fact. But there's just a lot of them on the list. So Mansions of Madness, Citadels, uh, Arkham Horror card game, Lord of the Rings card game, Journeys of Middle-Earth, Marvel Champions... Um, I thought that was Fox in the Forest. Then, no, Star Wars Outer Rim, Cosmic Encounter, Journey's Middle I've already mentioned, Mission Red Planet, Star Wars Rebellion. Yeah, you can see that there's quite a lot of games from those IPs that I just like. So, naturally, FFG is just kind of impossible to beat, really, frankly. Number second place, though, with four. Just pipping the freeze in the crowd is Libelude. Yeah, Libelude is technically my second favourite publisher because, I mean, this is based on my top 100. I mean, is it objectively my second favourite, you know, my top and second and third favourite publisher? I'm just going by my top 100 here, but Libelude appears four times and relatively high up, in fact, in some cases. I mean, uh, what have we got? Libelude. So, highest one is Seasons, I believe, and then two under that is Mysterium. That was Libelude originally. And then what else is the load? Uh, oh, here we go. Obscurio. Really enjoy that one. And Dixit in general. Yeah, four of them are on my list. And say, Libelude do a lot of cool games. I mean, they've kind of dominated the whole Dixit card mechanic, hence Mysterio and Obscurio on the list. But then Seasons, I still really like. Yeah, Libelude just does some cool games that I really enjoy that have been consistent on my top 100. So I think they've always had three or four on my list. Maybe Obscurio is the newest one, but... Yeah, they've always at least had three on my list. They're just a consistent publisher, whereas FFG comes and goes, but then they just have a lot of them. And then you get a bunch of these at three. So what have we got here? Stonemire, Osprey Games, Mind Clash, Garfield Games, Eagle Griffin, Check Game Editions, and AEG. All of them have three games. In fact, actually saying that, was Red Raven? No, Red Raven would have ended up on two. So yeah, so yeah, as much as I give, you know, crap on Stonemire a bit lately with things like the Wingspan Nesting Box and the Asia Expansion and some of their other games like Tapestry and Pendulum. And like I say, there's a lot to hate on some of the Stonemire games. They still make Scythe, Viticulture and Wingspan, three of my favourite games of all time. So, you know, those they're just consistently on this list at three because those three games are just like their powerhouses. Granted, the rest of the stuff is not, but that's why they're in there in the third tied place. Osprey Games is kind of a surprise, really, a local publisher, but then I've got to give props. Brian Boro, I was surprised by that one. Uh, Imperium, really enjoy that one. And Cryptid, they're all Osprey Games, they're really good. Garfield Games, I think, though, is going to get higher soon, because Garfield Games only has three at the moment. Architects, Viscounts, and Raiders, okay? But I've recently just bought Explorers of the North Sea. It was low in stock, it was on Kienda, and I had some vouchers, and I thought, you know what? It's about time I tried this game, because I've been saying for ages that I want to try Explorers of the North Sea, because a lot of people are telling me it's good, even though it gets no buzz compared to the rest, and it's like, fine, I'll try it. So I've bought it, I'll give you my views on that in the long run. But I also have Wayfarers of the South Tigris arriving at the end of next week, and I already know that's a pretty solid game, but I need to play it more to see where it will feature if on the top 100. I'd be surprised if it didn't, but still. But there's a chance that Garfield Games is going to have four, maybe even five games on my top 100. So they could bolster up to second place if they carry on at the rate they're going. And by the time we do the next top 100, maybe I'll even have Scholars of the South Tigris or whatever it's called um, next time. And maybe that will be another game. They could even have six on my top 100 if they carry on being as solid as they are. So expect them to rise. Eagle Griffin, that's basically the Serta games. Check Game Editions. What's Check Game Editions? That's Pulsar 2849. Uh, it's also uh, Lost Ruins of Arnak. That's the my favorite of theirs. So Lost Ruins of Arnak. Um, and, and the other one I mentioned. What's the other one there? Oh, and The Falling Skies. Mm, I think that's probably going to fall off the list as time goes on. And AEG. I'm surprised AEG doesn't have more games on there, but AEG just has, has a lot of games that I go good, great, but not necessarily top 100 worthy. That's why there's only three of them, but they are generally a consistent good publisher. But AEG, what's that? Mystic Vale, uh, Valley of the Kings, yet Valley of the Kings, and Edge of Darkness. Now, technically Cascadia is flat-out games. Yes, Alderac also published it but it's technically flat out games so AEG doesn't get that one on my list like I say not an exact science but <laughs> it's just the way it is but AEG is high up I mean 
Edge of Darkness and Valley of the Kings. They're in my top 30. So they're consistently high up. But then Garfield Games, I have two games in my top 20. And then, where's the other one? Where's Raiders? If that's where if that's where those two are, where's Raiders? Oh, in my top 30. So yeah, their three games are in my top 30. So they would be technically better. But yeah, there's a lot of good stuff out there for these publishers. All right, let's swig a coffee. Moisten the throat. Wonder if I'm going to lose my voice by the end of this. And move on to designers. So this is definitely not an exact science. Because bear in mind, I cannot, literally cannot... Uh, who was it? I cannot be exact when there's multiple designers. Particularly in certain cases. But going by my list through designers. Technically, my favorite designer is a tie between Bruno Cafala and Antoine Boza. Now, one of these could actually be slightly higher than the other. Bearing in mind, Seven Wonders Duel is listed down as Bruno Cafala. It was also co-designed by Antoine Balza. So, you know, technically Antoine Balza maybe should have five, but then I'm pretty certain there's games where Kafala's worked on it and I've given the credit to someone else. Like I said, not exact science, but basically we are saying that my favorite designers are Kafala and Bowser. Are they both French? I'm not entirely sure. I'm pretty sure Bruno Kafala is. I'm not sure about Antoine Balza, but, you know, yeah, European designers, what can I say? You uh, make some of my favorite games. And, I mean, where does Bruno Kafala feature in my list well as i mentioned uh oh abyss yeah abyss is up there uh seven wonders du oh no seven wonders duel is down as anton bowser not bruno kafala so i mean technically bruno kafala would have five instead of four so no exact science as i keep saying uh but yeah uh so he's technically seven wonders duel but he was mainly on there for abyss where else does bruno kafala feature i mentioned Minchin red planet he's definitely up there for them I'm having to go down a bit. So he's he's definitely one of my favorite designers in terms of consistency, but he's not necessarily all in my top 50. But then as we get down, I've got a yeah, Conspiracy Abyss Universe. I've got Five Tribes. And he's done a lot of other stuff. I mean, I mentioned the two-player games lately. I took Sobek for review, and Sobek's really good. Uh, yeah, he just... He's very consistent. I really like his stuff, typically. Anton Bowser, though, I mean, can't forget him. Seven Wonders, Seven Wonders Architects, uh, Seven Wonders Duel. Okay, so maybe he's a bit of a one-trick pony with me, but hey, he's got a system and it works. But there must be something else that Anton Bowser did that isn't Seven Wonders related. What would that be? Let's have a look. Scrolling down, that's Alan on Moon. That's not it. Um, that's a Brunica Fala. Where else does Anton Bowser feature on my list? Oh, here we go. Oh, yeah, Takinoko. I was going to say, I knew there had to be something else that he, uh, I'm pretty sure it's, and I can't remember if it's Bowser or Bowser, but anyway. But yeah, so those two are essentially tied for my favorite designers. Then we have, strangely enough, Uwe Rosenberg, uh, Nate French, and Shem Phillips, and Vital Lacerda are tied at three. So Shem Phillips, well, you know what they are, they're the Garfield Games. Nate French, LCGs. LCG, well, LCG slash, you know, Journeys of Middle Earth, Mansions of Madness, you know, so... So, yeah, basically FFG. Uh, Vital Lacerda, as I mentioned, the free Eagle Griffin games I've got are all designed by Vital Lacerda. So it's free games that are on my top 100. And Uri Rosenberg, Fields of All, Caverna. What's the other one? <laughs> What's the other one? Why else are you on here? Oh, Feast for Odin, although that's at 94. Feast for Odin might not be on my top 100 next time. So, uh, you know, you might see Uri Rosenberg take a drop if he doesn't design something else that I go... Well... Attawa. Attawa is on my shelf still. That was pretty solid, so Attawa could be the replacement for Feast of Odin on my top 100. We shall see, but it's a long time to wait for them. And then second place, uh, we're sort of tied, but well, like I say, joint third, effectively. Uh, we're looking at quite a bunch of designers here. I mean, all of these have got two games. Vladimir Succi, uh, S. Halaban, I forget who that is, Scott Caputo, Ryan Lockett, um, R. Aman, I think we does, uh, Alexander Nevsky, uh, Jamie Stonemeyer, because uh, technically he didn't do Wingspan, um, John DeClaire, Edge of Darkness and Mystic Veil, vale, uh, Corey Ginezga, so we're talking like Star Wars Outer Rim and stuff like that. So, yeah, there's a bunch of these designers that featured twice. And honestly, my palette when it comes to publishers and designers is pretty varied. I mean, you can see that there's a lot of tied positions. There's no designer that you know, I love all their games. There's no publisher that I love all their games either. It's just some are more consistent than others. And FFG is just kind of an outside, you know, 
you know, an outside skewed system because of how many games they've made, particularly in like since the year 2000. So, yeah, there's quite a bit of a breadth there. You know, there's much as these designers are technically my favorites. It's not that the it's not like these other ones, you know, that feature on my top 100 are bad. They just only have one on my top 100, but there's loads of designers here. There's a ton of them to make up that extra, you know, batch up to 100. It's just like, you know, Alan R. Moon. The only one of his games on my top 100 is Ticket to Ride. Well, I love Ticket to Ride. What can I say? So it's uh, it's not like just having that one game is a bad thing. It's just, it's just how they feature. Right. So let's see about games. Now, they've fallen off the list. How long are we into this? About 38 minutes, 35. So, again, I'm not going to go into too much detail over all of these. But I need to get the Board Game Geek website back. I then need to get my list. So, where are we? Oh, nope. Let's go back to there. So, we need to go into these. So, you've probably already seen them as spoilers. All right, you're going to see them as spoilers anyway. But for those of you on audio, you're going to get more of a spoiler-free section here. But as you can see... 18 games fell off the list, so I always do a subtotal. 14 games appeared on the list, 4 returned to the list, and 18 fell off. And I have to use that as a math check, <laughs> because naturally it nets off to zero. So, you know, math, get it? But, you know, there's a bunch of these, and there are some high up, but most of them tend to be in my 90s and 80s, because naturally they're the ones that are more likely to fall off. But there are reasons why ones higher up could fall off. A game replaces it. Or maybe the kinks in the armor have been done. Or maybe I've played it to death and there's nothing more to play. You know, there's various reasons. But we're going to go through the list. So, Dwellings of Eldervale. Yeah, I had this game and I really... I did enjoy it at first, but it cost a pretty penny. It cost a lot. And it was a big box. And the more I played it, the more... As much as I like the design of the game, this, this almost could be a contender for the... Well, no, I don't dislike the games. I don't know if I could say it would appear on next week's collaboration list. Because I do like the game. But it's too mechanical rather than thematic. I wanted a thematic, you know, magic-themed game. Uh, you know, like, oh, yeah, look at all these cool spells. And I'm playing the Forest Wizard. I am so different to if I'm playing the Fire Wizard. It's not. Dwellings of Eldervale is a very mechanical game. The whole fact that you've got these different tracks and that really means nothing seriously do they not put any pictures on this website other than just people's faces i want to get pictures of the game not some random people but you know you play this and it's mostly just area control on the map and building little houses and once i played it a bunch it's like yeah that's really all this is and it's got a well-designed solo mode and it is well produced and colorful i like the box and everything but eventually i just got a bit sick and, and I like the variety of all the factions but I just got a little bit sick and tired of the fact that it was mainly just an area control game with you know a, a smidgen of theme thrown in and I kind of wanted more theme so this one's just gone down a bit for me I've sold it since I no longer own this game I would play it if someone put it in front of me but it's not the first one I gun to and certainly I don't think it's the like 177th best game ever I think that's maybe overselling it a bit but I don't know, seven? Uh, I think seven's still fine. I still think it's good. I originally rated it an eight, I think, when I had it. And then it's like, yeah, hang on, I don't need to keep this. All right, uh, what was the next one? Next one was First Martians. I'm like one of the only people who champions this game. And yeah, I still enjoy this game, but it's not quite top 100 worthy anymore. So First Martians Adventures on the Red Planet is the pseudo-sequel to Robinson Crusoe. It's basically Mars. So if you wanted to play, you know, The Martian as the board game, you play First Martians. It's a pseudo-realistic uh, sort of take on living on Mars where everything's going to pot. You know, you're running out of oxygen or things are breaking down and such. You've got to take your little rover out on a little mini-map. You've got to keep everything in check. But it's done with an app. It's app-assisted. So the app throws in, like, different events, different, like, uh, scenarios for you to go up against. And it's got a little bit of a soundtrack it's got a story in the legacy mode and you've got different scenarios i really like this game i think it's a good fun game but it was marred by the fact that the rule book was atrocious i've since printed off a revised rule book that was done a lot better but still there's quite a lot of overhead for this game there's a lot going on 
it's hard for me to get this back to the table because I have to relearn it all over again and that is a bit of a put off. And so I still own it, but I am in that position where I'm, I'm in an R-ring between keeping it and selling it because it is just very tricky to get back to the table. But I do not regret my time with it. I've had some good plays of it. I've enjoyed it. And I still think it's a solid game with a nice narrative to it. But yeah, it just really wasn't helped by some iffiness with the app at first and certainly... Get somebody to proofread and edit your rule books. Seriously, spend some money on those rule books because you really can tank your own game without a decent rule book. All right, next one, uh, Pioneer Days. Now, Pioneer Days is still probably high up in my hundreds. It's just not high enough to be in my top 100. But Pioneer Days is an overlooked game. Uh, Matthew Dunstan and TMG, sadly not around anymore. But if you can get a copy of this anywhere, I do highly recommend it. It's a dice drafting game where you, you roll the dice, you draft them, and you put them on these various actions here, one to six. But you either take money, or you do the action of the die, or you uh, take a character that you can, you know, hire a character that goes into your caravan effectively but the die that doesn't get taken levels up these disaster tracks and these disasters happen and hurt everybody around the table it's just a case of are you prepared for that and so it's just a neat little system it goes on a bit long that is a flaw of the game and probably why it has dropped a little bit four players this game does drag out a bit but Two or three players, I find this to be good fun. I think it's well produced. It's a neat little system. It just, as I say, overstays its welcome a bit, which is why it's kind of dropped. But I do like the variety with the characters. I do like the puzzle with the dice. It's a solid little game and generally overlooked by a lot of people. But honestly, give this one a check if you've not seen it before. I think you'll quite like it, especially if you like Dunstan's designs. Alright, next up we have the Court of Miracles. I've recently just sold this out of the collection. I gave it pretty high review when I played it, like a 9 I think. And I still think it's good. I still think it's probably about 7 or 8 now. It's an 8, yeah, so it's dropped a little bit. But the Court of Miracles is, you know, and like I say, do not pay attention to my logged plays. You know, I don't record every single game I play. It's just a, it's, it's more just a, oh, you know, try to keep rough track. But most of the time I forget to log my plays anyway because I'm too busy socializing. <laughs> so and I, and I forget to do it after the fact. I know I've played this more than six times. I'm sure I've played it way more than that. But Court of Miracles is a lucky duck game. Straight up area control, pretty vicious. You're essentially putting these tokens face down on the board and you're waiting for the spaces to fill up when they do you check who's got the majority based on the value of the token you get a bonus and you're just basically trying to put these various tokens off your board out it's as mechanical as all get out but it's nice simple does five players really easily and you can customize which uh, tokens you have well produced even though the box is probably a bit oversized for what it is and you know it was a decent game but it just stopped sort of hitting the table much in favor of other five player games and I thought, yeah, you know what, maybe this isn't one that's going to stay in the collection. But yeah, if somebody wants to play it, I will gladly jump into this. I still think it was pretty, pretty solid. All right. Uh, Vinyos. Yes, I said that some uh, games were in my collection from Vital Lacerda. Not all of them. And I must admit, this one probably needs to drop down a mark. So it is currently a 9. I think we're going to drop it down to an 8 to be more accurate. This is probably my fourth favorite of the Lacerda games at the moment. And it's good. I, I mean, it's great. I really like this game. It's just not top. Like I say, it's falling out of my top 100. It doesn't mean I hate the game, all right? But, you know, this is a heavy winemaking game. I like this theme. I prefer viticulture because you're actually more making the actual wine, whereas this is more about running the business of making wine. So it's more of an economic thing. But I like the fact that you've got the vineyards you can build up, the various developers and that, the uh, action track where you've got these meeples going around is quite a cool little puzzle. And I like how you have the fair where you can submit a wine and then try and compete with everybody else based on taste and aroma and stuff. So it's thematic and it's well produced and looks gorgeous. But it's just slightly fallen a bit on the wayside. The rule set is a little bit hard to remember when you get back into it. Some of those vineyards that you can put your markers on feel a bit too powerful compared to others. I don't like the 2010 version, which is uh, like all about bank loans and stuff like that. And it's like, uh, no, this is too complicated. I much prefer the 2016 upgraded version. And 
I can say, I still really enjoy it. It's probably below 110, honestly. You know, it's still high, just not top 100 already. I, I think Lisboa slightly overtook this one, because Lisboa, I think, was in my 90s or so. Actually, was Lisboa in my 100? Yeah, Lisboa was my 100. Okay, Vinyos is probably a few spaces below it. It's just slightly pipped to the mark. All right, Arkham Horror, the third edition. It just doesn't hit the table enough anymore. I mean, I do like it. It's still on my shelf, and I would gladly bring it out if I could, but, man, this one is just hard to get to the table, <laughs> much like a lot of the Arkham Horror stuff, frankly, and that is its biggest issue. But it's a more streamlined version of Arkham Horror. I I love the second edition when I played it, but it's too much, too many rules, too fraught with stuff. Third edition is just a lot easier to bring out and get played while still retaining that cool Arkham Horror theme. I enjoy it. It just takes a long time to play. Like, I'm only going to play this solo, frankly. I'm not playing this with three or four players because it will take to the end of time. I'd rather play the LCG with multiple players or just play Mansions of Madness with more players. But yeah, it's still a fun game. Just, I can't call this Top 100 anymore. And I don't think it will ever resurface back in. All right. Hostage Negotiator. Hostage Negotiator was the next one to fall off. And bear in mind, I'm going from the bottom upwards, okay? Um... Hostage Negotiator. Again, I don't find myself playing this one as much. And yet I've got all the expansions to it. And they certainly add a lot of variety. And that's all well and good. But I just don't find myself playing this one much. The the fact that it is mainly dice rolling does great a little bit after a while. There's only so much you can do tactics-wise. But I do like the variety in the enemies you can face. And the different investigators you can have. And, you know, these different scenarios. Now, I think the variety is good. And I think it's still a cool game. I've not played Final Girl, which is the one that a lot of people talk about now. I was not going to spend that much on it. When it was basically just an upgrade to this, frankly. I don't feel you need to own both. But this is one I pull out every now and again i mean i've got the career expansion i haven't even tried it yet so you know i would like to try the career one and see if that it functions any better but yeah it's a good fun dice game it's just a case of haven't really had the time to play it so it's just kind of fallen by the wayside a bit all right keep my throat in check i'm really struggling come on keep it up just a little bit longer just a little bit longer how many games have I got? Oh god, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. Oh god, a lot of games. All right, we're going to have to zip through these a bit. Atlantis Rising 2nd Edition. Atlantis Rising 2nd Edition. Well, yeah, I like it. It's fine, but I feel that there's better co-ops out there. It does look gorgeous, i got to admit. It's a gorgeous-looking game, but I don't know. I just feel like playing other co-ops, frankly. It's very luck-driven. You know, a lot of stuff is based on the events and what dice you roll, and that can feel a bit punishing. Like, sometimes you win the game, and you don't really know if you won it by skill or just by dumb luck. But it looks gorgeous. Simple rule set. I actually might have sold this in advance of getting the Kickstarter expansion and forgotten I actually backed it, so that might be a problem. <laughs> I might have to sell the expansion on its own, but yeah... It's a good game, and I do like it, and I think this one deserves some credit, but it's just not one that I played as much, and it eventually got sold out of the collection. So this would be in my top 200 games, just not quite top 100. All right. Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, Imperial Settlers. This one I still think is a really great game, although it is bloated as all get out, and I don't want a deck build. But the simple fact is, there's Empires of the North. Empires of the North is on the shelf there. And it's replaced Imperial Settlers. And it took me a while before I sold this one. Because people didn't want to buy it. But because Empires of the North. <laughs> you know. But eventually someone has bought my whole collection of it. And you know. I would still play this if someone offered it. But <sighs> Empires of the North. It came out. It replaced it. The two games are both great. But this is an 8 out of 10 for me. Empires of the North is a 10. You know. One game just clearly surpassed the other. Uh, right, okay, what next? Uh, doo -doo -doo -doo. Legendary Encounters, right, so we're getting into the higher ones. 83, now dropped out. Legendary Encounters, an alien deck building game. I still really like the alien one of this. It's in a box upstairs, but I don't have the capability to get it out because it's in one of those bloated boxes that I really wish I didn't buy in the first place. Oh, 9 out of 10, I'm going to need to drop that down to an 8. Yep, let's uh, adjust my rating there. So... Mainly, this one's just a setup ball ache. I mean, it's, it's such a setup problem. You know, I like the alien theme with this, and I think this is easily the best of the legendary series. I mean, I have really uh, toned out now on the 
Marvel one. I think the Marvel one's just too much, even just too much setup and too much like the themes not well represented in it. You know, but I think the as much as the artwork is questionable in this, you know, it's just a really cool you know game where you're playing for the movies you've got all the iconic characters you've got the face hugger rule which is still one of the most scariest things i've seen on tv i hate face huggers they freak me out like crazy but hey it's called alien it's meant to be gross and really upset and really uncomfortable so it does a good job but yeah i love alien i love the aliens the two the first two alien movies you know aliens is one of my favorite action movies and alien is the best horror movie i've ever seen i think alien just did it perfect you know it did the perfect atmospheric horror without going too gross and without being too weird like modern day horror ones are but yeah you know pretty solid all around but the problem is it's a pain to set up you've got to tailor a bunch of these decks and i've got to get it out of this big box up there and i just haven't had the desire to go through that palaver again so that's why it's fallen off a bit and i don't know when i'll get it played but I do think it's a really good game. It's just, yeah, these things happen. Rising Sun. Yeah, Rising Sun. Originally really, really liked this game. And now it is starting to drop. I just haven't had a desire to bring it out. In fact, that is so getting dropped to an 8. Yep, need to update that. But Rising Sun is a lot of setup. There's a lot of rules to teach. It's big. It's multiple boxes. And it's... Basically a dudes on the map game, and the more cool mini or not are just releasing the same thing over and over again, the more I'm like, hmm. And the problem with this is that I want to play this with three players. Four players is fine, but I find that three players works really well with this. Because four players you just end up with, well, I don't know, it's, it's hard to say. Three players, it can work with the diplomacy thing. Two players could team up, one person on their own, but then that one person has the traitor tile... And they can really do some good stuff. Five players, game is too long, goes on too long. And if you're the one person outside of two whole alliances, you're going to get screwed. You're going to get screwed. Four player works quite well though, because you might have two alliances go on at the same time. But then you might have one alliance and two separate. That can be quite interesting. But yeah, this one's just a bit of a pain to get out and set up. And I think a lot of this is the problem. You know, the more that they are a pain to get out and set up... The less my desire to play them is. Some of these cards are just a bit broken, I think. You know, there are some strategies in this game that I just think outrank a lot of others really easily. And they don't feel like strategies. They just feel like a mechanical boost. But, you know, still looks gorgeous. Still really think it was a great production. But I spent way too much money on this. This was the catalyst. This was the last game that I decided I was going to spend like 200 to 300 bucks on a Kickstarter for. Because I went all in on this. And I really regretted it. I would have been just as happy with a deluxe version of the base game alone. I didn't need Dynasty Invasion and all that on top. You know, I I spent too much on this and I regret that. And I think this was the last time I ever um, fell for that again. So yeah, Rising Sun is still, still in my top 200 games. But yeah, it's just not getting played. But I don't want to sell it just yet. Eldritch Horror 77. That's gone down a lot. Again, just... As I say, bloat... Set up, how often does it get played? My situation just doesn't allow for these games to get played a lot, and therefore they do drop a bit. But it's also the desire to get it played, like Edge of Darkness. I don't get Edge of Darkness played very often, it's a big, massive niche game. But man, do I want to play it! And I can play it solo in not too long a time, but yeah, I want to play it. I want to get it out right now if I had the time. You know, I have a desire to do so, but then I don't have the desire right now to get Eldritch Horridge and a few Eldritch Horridge. <laughs> Eldritch Horror and a few others out, you know. I mean, this is a massive game. It's long. It's got cards that reset the game, which is straight up garbage. Uh, it's just got too much bloat. And I think that's the thing. I sometimes get a bit too hard up in like, oh, I gotta buy this new content. I gotta buy this new content. But yeah, Luke, how often do you play this game? Do you really need the new content? And now I'm a lot more picky about that sort of thing, with the exception of LCGs. But yeah, for the most part, I'm like, yeah, maybe I don't need everything for this game. And certainly this is one that I think just got too bloated. But still really enjoy the game. Maximum three players. If it's at a convention and people want to play a three-player game of it, I would totally chime in. But yeah, not top 100 in material with the, like, the way it's not getting played. 
Ghost stories. Ah, yeah, ghost stories. I do like ghost stories. Ghost stories is fun. It just has not been played in a long time. Uh, it's hard to remember all the rules to it. In fact, I probably need to drop... I think I need to drop both of these, actually. I think nine for both is a bit much. So we're going to drop that to an eight. We're going to drop the expansion to an eight as well. I don't have Black Secret, but Ghost Stories is still a good, really fun game. Uh, Co-op, tower defense, great theme, great artwork. I love this uh, uh, Piero artwork with the uh, ghosts and everything. Um, you know, I think it's a really cool, tough tower defense game. Not interested in the last bastion. I don't care about generic fantasy. I want these uh, cool ghosts and that. It's just got a bit of a weird rule book. Um, it's just not hit the table that much. I mean, I have desire to bring it out, but not crazy desire. So that's why it's kind of fallen off the top 100. It's why it's probably an 8 rather than a 9. But I still give this one props. This is one that I think is quite high up in my top 200 in a sense. Like it's probably in the 100, 110s, 120s. But yeah, it's still the game I really enjoy. But yeah, Top 100 doesn't quite deserve to be up there at this point. Alright, uh, a few more. Teotihuacan City of Gods was 68. Now is off my Top 100. Yeah, I'm really faltering on this. In fact, I'm faltering on a lot of uh, Board and Dice's stuff at the moment. Nothing against Board and Dice, it's just... Their games are just feeling very samey. Like, a, a game comes out and I just think, Oh look, another one of these. It's just, it just seems like it's the same thing. And this one, again, I like the game, but I've bloated it with expansions, and I don't want to play all that expansion content. I mean, I think the latest expansion I haven't even touched. You know, the Orange Pyramid, I don't find myself using that much. I just want the new setup tiles and the new technologies. That's all I want. More of the good stuff. Don't give me more mechanics for a game that's already got too many mechanics. That's the, that's the bad way to do expansions. But nope, this one wanted to throw in everything in the kitchen sink and then throw in another kitchen sink. It's just not needed. It's a lot of rules to remember. It's quite a tight game. It's a good, fun Euro. I mean, I like it. It's probably my favorite game that Board and Dice have produced. But, yeah, it's just a lot of rules overhead. I'd have to relearn this all over again. It's bloated. I'd have to sort out the expansions. And I just, I'm kind of done with a lot of these dice manipulation puzzle games that don't have any theme behind them. The less formatic a game is, the more it's got to work to be on my list. And something like Pulsar 2849 is a simple mid-weight point salad. This is a heavy Euro tight, lots of rules, lots of overhead, particularly if you do the solo mode. It's just a bit much. Oh, blimey, we're getting on time. Right, uh, let's... Uh, what have we got? Four more. All right, four more, and then we'll wrap up. So, uh, from 59, Baron Park. Baron Park is no longer on my top 100, and I was singing the praise of this game for ages. Like, why is this not on my top 100? Um, I mean, I still give it a 9. I still think I'll... Uh, do I want to keep a 9, though? Yeah, you know what? I still want to keep it a 9, because it's not that... The top 100 is not just simply, oh, my 10s and then my 9s and then my 8s all the time. There are exceptions. I do think Baron Park as a game is a great, simple design tile-laying game. The problem is Alice's Garden. Yes, Alice's Garden has kicked this one off my uh, list. In fact, I've sold it since. I no longer own Baron Park. Yeah, I got rid of Baron Park. I will gladly recommend this to loads of people. My parents still have this at home. I will gladly play Baron Park. Really enjoy it. Alice's Garden is cheaper, smaller, quicker. Does the same thing. Why do I need Baron Park? It just straight up replaced it. All right, uh, check out my review if you don't know it, what Alice's Garden is. Uh, Predator Porter was 56 and it's now off my top 100. Yeah, it's just not getting a lot of plays lately. It's a big three-hour epic Euro. It's long. It's uh, quite involved. A bit of rules. Mainly the balance issues I'm starting to notice a bit more with plays. I mean, as much as... I mean, this is the old version of the game. and Oh, no, there's a bit of the new one. But, yeah, there's not much... Come on, show me some of the new game. Ah, there we go. This will do. So, it looks gorgeous. And I think it's a really good thematic and economic euro. The balance is a bit off, though. Some of the characters that you can get, some of the contracts, some of the things you do in the show, there are some that are clearly better than others, and they get taken way before anything else does. And as much as you can get uh, you know, victory points in the show, if you can get a lot of cash, you can kind of eclipse what you do in the show a bit. And so... 
I mean, yeah, you are technically meant to make a business, not just a good bit of fashion, but yeah, there are some balance issues I have noticed in this game, which is why it's faltered, but still on my shelf, still down there, and I would play this, but whoever put 90 to 120 minutes on this box is lying out of their back teeth. This is a free hour game through and through, and it's another thing that hurts it. Free hours, rather pull out Ark Nova. Right, uh... Robinson Crusoe Adventures on the Cursed Island was 50. Now off my top 100. Just doesn't get played. I mean, I have backed the new version, and I'm hoping that that might make the game see a bit of a resurgence, at least into the top 100, or, you know, not this high again, but maybe a bit higher. But we're definitely going to drop that down to an 8. Um, Robinson Crusoe's just got the problem of being very hard to relearn. As soon as I forget the rules... I've got an uphill struggle to relearn it again. There's a lot going on and the rulebook was not great. Even the new version could only do so much. But I do enjoy this one, mainly from a solo perspective. It is good fun, but I'm kind of paused this one because I think the expansions did this more harm than good. I didn't, I wasn't a massive fan of the, uh, oh, what was it called? The uh, Darwin's one or something like that, uh, that side one. And the horror one, the Eldritchy horror one, was okay, but it added complications. It was a bit broken in some areas, and it's like, yeah, not as great either. So I would just stick with the base game. But the thing is, I kind of need a better way to teach this to other people, because it is fun multiplayer as well. So I basically just need to wait for the new version to come out to look better, have those miniatures, have like a bit more thing, but mainly to have the tutorial campaign or the tutorial mission so I can teach this to more players, I can get into the rules better myself, get it more ingrained and, you know, get it back to the table and enjoy it a lot more. But yeah, whew, it um, needed a little bit of a rules tweak. But yeah, it just hasn't got played. It's fallen off and I do really like the game, but the top 100 must reflect what I'm getting played and what I desire to get played that's the thing and then finally 43 now off my top 100 is detective detective uh just detective the portal gate and like i say it's feels a bit harsh you know imperial settlers predator porter detective there's a lot of portal games that are falling off my top 100 nothing against portal okay <laughs> it's just some of these games are you know falling a bit for me mainly because of you know bad rule books which is uh something they do need to sort out but mainly just because of some replacements now. I mean, this is a straight-up replacement. Well, no, no. Imperial Settlers were straight-up replaced. That doesn't count. I replaced a Portal game with a Portal game. Uh, this one is not so much a replacement. It's more I've run out of content. <laughs> and I just don't desire to. I'm dropping that from a... Uh, drop that. I know I'm, I'm dropping it from a 10 to a 9. I, I do think that this is a solid 9 out of 10 rated game. The problem is, is that... I enjoyed it a lot more with the first expansion or so. I thought the LA one, the 80s one was really good. I liked Season Zero. I thought that was a good set. These little spin-off ones that they've done, though, the individual packs, they, they've been a little bit hit and miss. And the thing is, is that I've played all the content that there is, I think, to date, bar maybe one or two of those packs. And I just haven't had the massive desire to get those out. As much as I enjoy the game, it's tough. Half the time I don't get a very good score on it, but it's a good bit of fun for solo play if I've got the time to spare, but I preferred the big box expansions. I just haven't been a fan of these little ones on the side, and I find myself sort of a bit more drawn to Chronicles of Crime for the simplicity of, you know, like the coolness of the app, but even then I haven't played that in a while. I mean, it's hard to say. I think this one is just kind of exhausted. It's like shelf appeal i mean i'm trying to sell it at the moment i haven't quite yet but i've really enjoyed my plays of it to this point it's a bit like pandemic legacy you know i really enjoyed pandemic legacy i have no reason to keep it it's done it's dusted you know this one it's done not quite dusted but i feel like i've played it to death and i've exhausted what i can get out of the system so really cool game really do recommend it but i think i've just played it to death and as such it's uh not something i can really leave in my top 100 if it's not something i'm likely to bring out again right oh my god my throat my throat really hurts oh my god right i am not going to do any more speaking until oh, seven o'clock tonight when i gotta be on online gaming well <laughs> hopefully won't do much talking over the next few days while at work even 
I just need to give my throat a bit of a rest. So thank you for joining me on that big dissection of the top 100. Yeah, a lot of games, a lot of games fell off, a lot of designers. I love my top 100. Hopefully you enjoyed those videos. If you have not checked out my top 100 yet, please do. Seriously, a lot of work goes into those and they are good fun. I do promise you, they're good fun to listen to. Gives you a good insight into my taste in games, whether you agree with them or not. But like I say, there's some ones in there that I reckon you should check out. So by all means, check out the whole top 100 if you can. You know, you know, listen to them in podcast form on your car journey and you'll do well. So yeah, that's it for me on this podcast. I'm going to wrap up and I'll see you again soon. So enjoy what you're doing. Uh, Thanksgiving's happened already for the US. So I hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving for then. But as we lead on to Christmas, uh, there'll be another episode in two weeks. And then I shall probably take a break for Christmas because I think two weeks is going to be what's two weeks going to be two weeks is going to be 11th and then yeah then 25th yeah I'm not doing a podcast on Christmas day people all right so you'll probably find that I'll do one more episode before Christmas maybe I'll talk about stocking stuffers or something I don't know we'll have to see um and then I will take a break for the Christmas break so there'll be a break in the podcast scheduling there obviously because who's going to listen to me on Christmas day and then I'll resume normal service in January when it's two weeks after that. So, uh, yeah, thanks for joining me on this episode. I'll see you again soon. And remember, as always, uh, regardless of how your top 100 games would go, it's still only a game. Bye for now. Take care.